following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. This morning I wanted to give a message in the book of Acts that I've titled Divine Breakthrough. And something probably that I need to be reminded of more than anything else um, this morning. But Acts chapter 10, we'll look at a lot of this chapter together, but we'll start with um, the account, especially with Peter, Acts 10, 9 through 16, and then 34 to 35. I'll go ahead and read that and pray for us, and we'll, we'll dig right in to Acts chapter 10 this morning. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now we'll skip down to verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is God's word. Can you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray together. I thank you for every individual and every family that is represented in this room, in a church that a couple years ago didn't even exist, that was planted by your servants and now given to uh, Dr. Steve and Betty to pastor and to shepherd. It is a miracle. It is such a testimony of your love and your hand upon all of our lives that as we are getting older and maturing, that you, Lord, have gathered this beautiful church together and are doing wonderful things. I pray, Father, that as we look at Acts 10, you would speak, even as many have gathered early this morning before service started and witnessed leaders praying and really crying out to you to do something great. We just are humbled by that, Father, and we expect to meet you and to hear from you. Send your spirit, Father. Be with Steve and Betty, Lord, as they are enjoying a well-deserved sabbatical. And I pray that uh, whether they're still in Kenya now or uh, headed back shortly, that you would refresh their hearts, Lord. You would give them once again the joy and that sense of privilege to serve you as uh, the pastor and pastor's wife here at Emmanuel. Strengthen them as they raise their children and allow them to come back with the fresh fire in their hearts to serve you and build your kingdom in the lives of these men, women, and children, Lord. 
We thank you for your grip upon our lives. Thank you that as we are getting older together, Father, just a miracle that we are still in the race. Testimony of your love and faithfulness to us. We thank you, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I think for a lot of us who were privileged to grow up in the church, and we think back to uh, maybe our children's ministry experience, or even when we were in youth group, or even in our college years, God often, in those younger, more impressionable years, tend to work uh, very dramatically. And I know that as I reflect on my life and my spiritual journey, that definitely was the case. I remember even just starting off college and uh, ended up rooming with Dr. Steve back in the day uh, at, at the U of I, and him having many, many talks with me late into the night about uh, just God's call upon my life. And this is my college buddy. This is a guy I grew up with since kindergarten, in a sense, and here he is. Uh, speaking to me and planting seeds of just surrendering my future to God. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, he's, he's my friend, childhood buddy. And yet God dramatically worked um, a few months after some of those hard conversations where he met me on a trip while I was in Korea the summer of 88 and surrendered my future to the Lord. And because of God's dramatic working and Steve's incense incessant conversations with me late into the night at the ISR Townsend dorm, I ended up in full-time ministry. So I'm thankful to Steve for that, thankful that he introduced uh, me to my wife, Kathy, and I promised him that I would name one of my children after him, and I did not. So I don't know if that means that I, if we have to have a fourth one, I'm not sure. But anyways, a lot of us, when we think about those younger years, Often, the way in which we experience God is through breakthroughs. But as the years have gone on, and some who I recognize from uh, different stages in my life, I think it is very common and something that we tend to uh, mutually understand that now that we're older, we don't get often that excited and expect God to work like he did when we were younger. We're in it for the long haul. We've maybe bought a home. We're raising our children through the high school years, thinking about colleges and universities for them. And to be honest, we expect and we are prepared for the long haul, which is great. And that's how we build a healthy, long, sustainable church. But in our desire for the calm, controlled, steady life, we often think of that also in our spiritual journey at this time. And the idea of divine breakthrough, the idea of God working in maybe dramatic ways or even showing us the crazy, is something that we may not be as open to as when we were a lot younger during our formative years. But as we look at Acts chapter 10, 
if there's something that you can take away from this message this morning, is that I believe that often because we long for that kind of steady, controlled, calm life without drama and craziness and interruptions, God often shows up in our lives and he disrupts us where we are at because sometimes that is the only way that he can get our attention. And he longs to grab our attention in order to rescue us, to renew us, and to revive us. And so this morning I want to look at Acts chapter 10. We'll move through this pretty quickly as we are reminded in our adult years that God often intervenes in our lives and causes us and calls us to experience his breakthroughs. And so let's go ahead and look back at our passage. Cornelius, his breakthrough. We didn't read this, but in verses 1 through 6, and it should be on the screen there, here we have a man who was in many ways what we aspire to be, and especially for our children. But Cornelius would experience what I'm titling a breakthrough to life. Look with me in verses 1 through 6. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God and all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision and an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. In the book of Acts, this narrative of this conversion of a Gentile soldier and his household, his relatives, and his close friends is actually the longest narrative in the entire book of Acts. And I think that's significant. Here we have a God-fear, one who believed in one God. He respected and practiced the moral and ethical teachings of the Jewish people. He was observing the Jewish hour of prayer at 3 o'clock, and then had a vision. And God had heard his prayers and seen his offerings. As good as this man was, as accomplished, as successful, as respectable, he still needed to hear the gospel. I love what John Stott says about him. Cornelius was a God-fearer standing at the boundary between Judaism and paganism and living in a very Hellenized city full of Gentiles, yet in the Holy Land. For a lot of us who would meet someone like a Cornelius, or maybe we are him as we sit here this morning, it would be very easy to say he's all set. They have an amazing family. He has an amazing career. He seems to be godly in his own way. 
And yet in the midst of all that he's doing, trying to worship and giving offerings sacrificially, he still did not experience true, everlasting life. And that would take place as he would finally hear the gospel clear and meet Christ. A comfortable life of privilege, of power, authority. He feared God and had a wonderful family, but he needed a breakthrough in his life. Because he, despite all these accomplishments and life that he was living, he did not have true life as the Bible describes. And so God would interrupt his life in the midst of his very religious, very spiritual life, respectable life, through an extraordinary breakthrough so that he could experience true life. We see God's heart. We see his love and care for this Gentile soldier. And it would involve sending a special messenger to deliver his word. Because his life was not all together and he just needed a little bit of icing on the cake. A little bit of Jesus. But he would have to experience God's absolute breakthrough into his life so that he could experience life, life abundantly. Looking at verse 43 to 48, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I love what John Piper says about this. So Luke is not trying to tell us in this book that devout, God-fearing people who practice what's right as best they know how are already saved and without any need of the gospel. The gospel got its start from among the most devout people in the world, namely the Jews. They had more advantages in knowing God than any of the other peoples on the earth. Yet they were told again and again, devoutness and works of righteousness and religious sincerity does not solve the problem of sin. The only hope is to believe on Jesus. Cornelius, as good as he was, as accomplished and respectable and successful that he was, and even had religion in his life, needed a divine breakthrough in order to experience genuine life as the scriptures describe and I wonder as we sit here this morning in a wonderful church like Emmanuel, with great leaders, a great pastor, and for some with a pedigree of serving God in ministry even, that we can think about our lives or those that we know. 
living very wonderful lives, but realizing yet that we have not experienced the true life that comes from a genuine divine breakthrough in meeting Christ. Cornelius would experience this in a dramatic way as we see him meeting Christ. He experienced what I'm calling a breakthrough to life. Secondly, though, as we look down in verses 9 to 16 that I believe we read earlier, let's look at Peter for just a few moments. Peter's breakthrough, a man who has already devoted himself to serving Christ as one of his disciples who loved Jesus, who've seen miracles, who heard the teachings of Jesus himself. I mean, how awesome would that be to have spent years living with the master? And yet there was deep work that still needed to be done in Peter's heart, mind, and life. Peter needed to experience what I'm calling, secondly, a breakthrough to freedom. A breakthrough to freedom. Peter, in his prayer time during the sixth hour, as he was hungry, fell into a trance and had a vision, as we've read earlier at the start of our time together. And this vision of unclean, or what we call common animals, are animals that he would never have touched, never have eaten as a good Jewish man. And you think about the shock value in hearing a divine voice, a voice from the Lord. Peter, rise, kill, eat. And that's shocking by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And think about this divine rebuke. What God has made clean, do not call common. Three times this took place as God was breaking through to his child. Peter would, as we follow along in Acts 10, experience a breakthrough to freedom. Peter was one of the inner three a very committed follower of Christ. He left all to follow him. But think about it. Why did he have this vision? Why did God have to break through in this kind of way? Because for Peter to be used to the next stage of his life and mission and ministry and for the kingdom of God, he had to experience this breakthrough because of his own theology because of his own stubbornness and you know Peter's personality because the way in which he was fixated in the way in which God worked and had worked in his life and among his people his focus was on converting Jews to Christ not Gentiles It was basically what I'm calling a firewall in the way in which he believed that God would use him and the way in which God worked within his life and would continue to use him. 
It came from a fixed understanding of his tradition and his culture and his values. We're not talking about first-time conversion or what happened to Cornelius and this breakthrough to realizing, despite all of his goodness and his accomplishments and his religiosity, that he still needed Christ for the first time. No, we're talking about Peter. He's already following Christ in his life. But it would be what I call a follow-up conversion or a breakthrough that he needed because it was absolutely fixed in his mind the way in which God would work and deal with people and the way in which God would use him. God had to break through to Peter in order to set him free and continue the journey of using him in his life. Peter desperately needed this breakthrough. Pastor Kent Hughes says this about Peter. In Peter's case, despite all of his love and devotion for Christ, his unfortunate attitude could have strangled his ministry and could have reduced Christianity to just another sect of Judaism. Do you see what was at stake in this servant, in this man, Peter? And so God would hammer away at Peter's fixed understanding that would have truncated and slowed down and blocked God's work in his life and the way in which God wanted to use him. He would have a divine vision. Peter, rise, kill, eat. No, Lord, I've never eaten those kind of things. No, Lord. The sheet representing all the different kinds of people and races and classes without distinction. God's heart, as you all well know, that he is a global God, a missionary God, and they would not be contained just among the Jewish people, this precious treasure of the gospel. And blow after blow, Peter would experience a chipping away at his fixated understanding And through this divine breakthrough, we would see a tremendous impact in his own life and for the mission of the gospel in this critical time period in the kingdom of God and the early church. Cornelius would meet him starting in verse 30. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. And we've taken a look at this. Go basically get Peter, and here I am. God had been working in Cornelius' life to break through that he would experience life, and he would be working at the same time in Peter's heart, a servant, a pastor, a missionary, his child because of his love for him. And finally when it hit him and Peter understood what God was doing and trying to reveal to him, and he experiences breakthrough, he confesses in verse 34, 35, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. John Piper would go on to say that Peter learned from his vision on the housetop 
in Joppa that God's rules no one out of his favor on the basis of race or ethnic origin or mere cultural distinctives or physical distinctives. This was mind-bending for Peter, and it was absolutely essential that God broke through to him in order that he could experience this freedom and the work of God through him could continue on, but also the work of God within his own heart. Our third son is crazy about avocados. He's just an avocado eating machine. And one day my wife observed me trying to feed into his love of avocados. And I've always been a little bit scared of avocados because they're a little spooky on the outside and then they're very, very green on the inside and they got that huge seed. So my wife looked at me and said, honey, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to feed the love of avocados to our son James and he'll be healthy and strong, have a good brain and be successful in life, all right? And she's like, all right. And there she sees me with the spoon trying to get out that avocado seed and getting it all over my hands because that's the only way I knew how to get that avocado seed out of that avocado. She said, honey, just take a knife, slap it in the middle, twist it, and it's out. I said, no, I've never heard of that. What are you talking about? And one quick demonstration with that knife, boom, my mind was blown. (laughs) Wow, what a hack, an avocado hack. And I call this my avocado lesson, and I've never gone back the old way ever since. You see, I I speak for all of us, probably especially for the men, we tend to be very fixated and very stubborn in our ways in which we live out our lives and our habits and the things that we do. We love the routine. We love the same. We love the comfort that comes in the uh, unexpected surprises of life. But the Reformers came up with a great phrase, semper reformanda, always reforming. That God's children and his church are always growing, always reforming, always changing, experiencing breakthroughs when they come face to face with Christ. We never, ever outgrow that. In a culture that is always changing, in the challenges of our lives that we meet, in the ways in which we live out day-to-day ordinariness, we must always reorient our lives to the fire of God's word and his truth in the person of Christ. And over the years, as I look back at some of the milestone breakthroughs that God has revealed, even in my own life, I'm sure that as you think about where you are today and the areas of your life that God really desires to break through in order to give you freedom, in order to continue the work of God in your life and through your life, you will experience these breakthroughs out of his grace and out of his love. For the longest time, having grown up in a Korean immigrant church from youth group days and childhood days and all this, always expected God to work in a certain way among my fellow Asian brothers and sisters. And 
really wondered when I did not see some of the outward forms of what I would call spirituality and revival outside of my Korean immigrant church experience, God had to speak to me and really encounter me and break through in some of the mindset that I had in which I boxed God in the way in which he would work. I thought for a season that only through loud prayers, intense tears, and fastings, that that was really the true pedigree of one who loved God and worshipped him. The dangerous thing about going to seminary is that you often develop very narrow theological perspectives. And over different seasons of my life, God would challenge me and break through even in the way in which I saw the world and his word and the way in which he worked through the lives of broken men and women. I felt that those in leadership could only come from a certain ministry pedigree or a certain kind of training when God looks at the humble heart, a childlike faith, and often uses those people in dramatic, mighty ways of which I would never expected God to have used or worked through because they did not follow in my mindset of what it means to be trained for ministry leadership. And I'm not against training. That's very important. But I wonder as you sit here this morning, as you think about your journey and your formation and the ways in which you have fixed God in a certain way in which he works in your life and the lives of others. And how without a divine breakthrough, we often will not experience this fullness that God desires, so much desires to reveal to us without that understanding of who Christ really is and for us to experience a breakthrough to freedom. Thirdly and finally, as we think collectively on what happened, it was not just for Peter and his experience, but his individual encounter experience would always translate through a breakthrough for the church itself. And in verses 15 to 18, it's the Jerusalem breakthrough. And if I could encapsulate it in a short phrase, it was definitely a breakthrough to power. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles... Also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It was a significant milestone and breakthrough for the church to begin to have a global vision for the community in which they lived, a vision for the nations, a corporate communal breakthrough that would translate in a release of power through God's Spirit in order to transform their minds, give them power to carry out God's divine mandated mission for their lives 
for the generation that would be felt as a global movement across the Roman Empire. When they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. It was that understanding as they clearly saw Christ, for he himself, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What a reminder of the gospel that our Lord Jesus broken in half so that God could break through our lives, that we could experience his life for the first time. We could experience his freedom from the ways in which we are fixed in our lives, the way we see God working and who he is, his attributes, and the way we see ourselves, and a breakthrough in power that would turn this local ministry into a global Christian movement. The world, and to be very honest, as you look at your own lives, we love to put up walls and barriers. As we think about today's problem of racism, classism, and fractures in our community, so much of that does not, does it not come from the way in which we establish these walls fixated in our minds and hearts. I can't imagine a more relevant and critically important reality of the gospel that God is a God of breakthroughs. And he does that not to harm us, not to hurt us, but that he could pour his life, his freedom, his power into our lives. Pastor Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, I love this. We, too, write off whole churches simply by what we have heard about them. We, too, shut out whole ethnic groups because of a bad experience with one person or one family. Or family. We, too, mentally excommunicate those who do not agree with us on one secondary issue or another. Our sheets easily fill with educational, racial, cultural, and spiritual rejects. And we cry, by no means, Lord, they are not my type. All three of these breakthroughs were tied together. All occurred when Christ was seen clearly and he was lifted up before them. All came through the preaching of God's word and the coming of the Holy Spirit through his word. And it always ended up in awe and shock in true biblical worship, in repentance and surrender. 
when Christ break through, when he breaks through into a life, he can bring life to the most religious, moralist, to the agnostic, to the atheist, to the pluralist, and to those who are right on the edge and really struggling with serious doubt and confusion, who wonders where God is in, in his or her life. He can break through that and allow that person to experience true life. As Christ is lifted up and as he works, he brings true freedom to the already converted as he breaks down walls and barriers that we have put up in our minds as he shines his light in the unconverted dark places within our hearts. And when he works and breaks through, the church always refocuses itself toward mission to the community and will begin to reach out to people who are different than them because the love of Christ compels them and breaks down walls and barriers that we have erected up. What breakthroughs is God speaking to you in your own life and faith journey that he desires for you to experience? During my month-long sabbatical, I received different opportunities to um, (laughs) not necessarily take a sabbatical, but to minister in different ways since I was available. And I know sabbatical, you're supposed to kind of rest and contemplate and travel and all that. And we did, you know, we, we did a little bit of that. But I really sensed that God was speaking to me and wanting to break through in in different ways, uh, in some of these invitations that I randomly received. There was an opportunity to minister at our denomination's retirement community, um, part of the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination. We have a retirement community in the Northbrook area, a chapel service that they meet, and that's, to be honest, not the most exciting uh, ministry opportunity that I wanted to uh, embrace. Older people, 80s, 90s, nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, send me to like a youth camp or something where it's dynamic and fun and, all right, I'll do it. Ah, man. And you get there and they're definitely quite old and retired and they definitely are uh, the true aged saints of God. And as I preached on the Father's heart to care and love us through Thick and thin. It was amazing that even in the hardness of my own heart and the barriers that I had put up, that one by one as they were leaving, many with just uh, tears and thanking uh, the word, thanking me to deliver that particular message because God really spoke to so many of them. And wow, they walked so slowly through that line and yet just their appreciation, their love. They ministered to me. One of them was so excited, he fell over. I said, oh my gosh, is he okay? And the older community member said, ah, don't worry, that happens all the time. He'll be fine. I'm like, oh my gosh. And God reminded me that it's not just to the present and younger generation that God is powerfully at work, but even among the older aged saints, they love him. He is at work even in the older generation, and God mightily broke through in that 
simple opportunity to give a message during a chapel at a retirement community. My parents' church went through a lot over the years. And like some of you who have experienced an immigrant community uh, in the churches with a lot of conflict, painful conflict, they finally are settling in for a time of a little more peaceful ministry with a new pastor. And the new pastor kept on bugging, will you please come and speak? We have a service where we gather all the generations. I'm like, that's the last thing I want to do. I can't even speak Korean. You trust me, you don't want me to come and speak And he kept on texting me and, please come. I'm like, oh, why do I want to speak to my parents' generation? And and I can't even speak all this. And then he's just insistent. A couple Sundays ago, I had the privilege of delivering uh, the message at my parents' church. My parents were heading toward their 80s now. And for the longest time, I realized that I had a lot of wounds from the first generation in some of the very difficult ministry experiences I had when I was first starting off in ministry. And I put up a barrier and a wall. I said, I don't want anything to do with uh, the first generation immigrant church in my context, which was a Korean. And then yet here I am standing before the generation that saw me as a little kid running around like my children. And as I poured out my heart, God really softened my spirit and said, thank them, honor them for building this church. They couldn't even speak English when they came to this country. Look what they have done in the seeds of the gospel that were planted in your heart and life, in your siblings, in your generation. And as I began to share stories of hearing my mom crying in the basement, screaming out the Lord's name, my Jewish friends thinking it was a dead dog, and yet, and this loud cry, I turned around and thanked my parents' generation and many of the friends who I've seen over the decades being faithful, cooking in the kitchen, picking up trash, setting up for worship year after year after year as they head toward the twilight years of their life. I had to repent. And I thank God for that opportunity, for that breakthrough he gave me and some of the woundedness of my heart among even my parents' generation. And there was an opportunity recently. Our family took a trip out to Canada to one of its larger cities. And I remember that there was a younger minister there that uh, we ministered together for a season in a time of a lot of hurt and conflict in our church. Last thing I wanted to do was meet up with him if we were in the same city, but always that paranoia of, oh my gosh, say I bump into him at the Costco or at a restaurant, and what do I say? You know, when you uh, have had confl- relational conflict, and yet God kept on putting his finger on that, that is not right. Christians should not have that kind of baggage and, and estrangement and broken relationship. And God kept on putting his finger on that. Reach out to him and meet with him when you are in that city. And so we did. He invited his entire family to his home. Now they have a lot of kids. They were so much younger then. And we had one of the sweetest times of, well, great Thai food to begin with. But a time of reconciliation, asking for one another's forgiveness, 
humbling ourselves before the Lord, before one another, and left that place with our hearts filled, relationship renewed and healed. And I realize that that is the call of the gospel. When we have broken relationship with others, we have to reach out and do our best to reconcile. And God, once again, spoke to me and broke through in a season of hurt and pain and conflict. I'm so thankful that he showed up in that kind of way. What are some of the critical areas of your life that the gospel still hasn't converted? And I've shared with you a few examples, even recently this past summer, in my life, of how God is continually trying to break down the spiritual, mental, emotional barriers that we have erected up. And he wants to do that so that he can pour his life, his freedom, and his power that we would experience him in a new way that we could be used by him and see the work of God through our lives and in our lives. Is it a relational conflict? Is it an issue of stewardship, finances, and money? Is it an issue of unforgiveness, divisiveness? Is there things from your family, things from what you grew up in, that you know you have still set up walls, that God has been speaking to you? He desires to break through. I pray that he will break through. As sometimes scary and painful that that can be, that you would experience his life, his freedom, and his power. Let's pray together.